Welcome into another edition of Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, everybody. It is episode number 104, where we talk pitching, and we do it heavily every single week with the five-time World Series champ, the former Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn, the research ace, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle, and our awesome producer, Dan Work. Uh, I'm coming to you from Comerica Park in Detroit, so I apologize for maybe some low audio quality, not with my uh, normal setup here, but we have Coney, we have James and Dan work as well as we tackle what's going on here as we get close to the one month mark to Labor Day, September baseball, playoff races, everything heightened here as we get closer to October. Guys, how you doing? Doing great. You know, we're getting through right through the dog days here of August, right? And get through that holiday and next thing you know, September rolls. By the time we're talking next week, it'll be past Labor Day and be the stretch run in full force. All right. So we have some wild card races and a couple of division races that are extremely tight. But we need to start somewhere in the opener where we obviously didn't discuss last week because it happened after we released last week's episode. And that is Shohei Otani, the UCL tear, torn in another portion of his UCL different spot from the previous spot and obviously this is going to be the big story moving forward after this season Shohei Otani's free agency what the Angels do what the player does personally guys I'm more interested in what the next steps are for the player what are Otani's options now as a a pitcher a two-way player a phenom with uh with a torn UCL David what are Otani's options moving forward Wow, you really have to kind of be on the inside and know the degree of the tear in the UCL and what the remedy is for that. Is he going to need another surgery or not? You know, it, it remains to be seen. You have to be, you have to have inside info to really kind of give a, a you know, a, a, a good answer and know what you're talking about. Now, with that being said, you know, everybody was accusing the Angels of malpractice when they didn't trade Otani at the trade deadline. And certainly I get both sides of it. I understand you could have got six prospects. You could have really reshaped your whole organization. Well, the best thing the Angels could have done, the number one preferable way was to keep Otani. And that's what they chose. They thought if they kept him uh, and he played well down the stretch, not only would they have a chance to make the playoffs, but even if they didn't, uh, that would enhance their chances to sign him back. I, you know, when, now that he's injured, does that increase his odds of staying in it? And with the angels, I don't know. It's possible. You know, there are some people I've talked to on the inside who believe that, who believe that if they would have traded Otani. There's no way they could have signed him back that he loves his routine. He would have been uprooted. It would have really kind of rattled his cage, so to speak. So they're doing everything they can to keep him. And the only thing I can equate it to is, Back in 1992, when I was pitching for the Mets, I was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. I went on a legendary run of of high pitch counts. I was averaging a little under 140 pitches a game uh, over a significant stretch of starts that culminated with a 166-pitch effort and a one-to-nothing shutout right before the trade deadline. And the next day, Barry Foote, who was the bench coach at that time uh, to Jeff Torborg, the manager, kind of jokingly said to me, yeah, you know, we're letting you run it out because we're, we're hoping maybe you kind of blow out a little bit so that we can keep you, you know, sort of subtly saying maybe we devalue you a little bit. You'll want to stay here with us. And I know it was kind of a joke, but it makes you wonder in these type of situations that pop up. And, you know, if I'm the Angels, I'm not accusing them of anything, but, you know, acquiescing to Shohei Otani and allowing him to do whatever he wants, play the second game of a doubleheader after you pitch a shutout in the first game, um, you know, continue to sort of say, are you okay? And let him sort of dictate the control of, of his career. 
is calculated, and we'll see if it works. The, the final answer is, is even if he's compromised pitching-wise, he's still a guy that you love to have on your team. You definitely want him back. If he signs back to the Angels, yeah, maybe they knew what they were doing. Maybe there was a method to all this madness. Yeah, it's like, is it bad that the, that the team has never essentially said no to the player? You know, it's 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 interesting. And like in, and in that in that timeline, that journey where it seems like Otani says, hey, I want to do this. The Angels acquiesce. They keep going, especially this year with him getting closer to free agency in a contract year. Hey, Otani saying this is what I want to do. And the Angels just giving in, continuing to say yes. Did they think, well, I mean, worst case is he gets us to where we want to be close to the postseason in a wild card race. And also, yeah, maybe he takes a step back somehow. Something like this. I mean, it's weird to talk about. Like something like this happens, and who knows? It might it might affect his his market. It might affect how he wants to go about his future and kind of bring that him back to the team. It's very interesting. Like like what you were saying with with your situation. How often do you think that does happen in the sport? Because it's something that fans don't often hear about. They look at every angle of it, you know, and I'll defer to James on this in terms of value, what his value would have been had he stayed healthy on both ends. And how do you, you know, how much of a payroll he would actually suck up if he, if he got paid what he's worth on both ends as a pitcher and a hitter. Now, obviously he's been devalued a little bit, but James and I have talked about this quite a bit in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, your worth, the surplus value that you get on players in their first six years of control, is the whole compensation system, is it outdated? Do we need to kind of take a look at how players are compensated moving forward in the future? I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. And, you know, I'll defer to James on the value of Otani right now. Well, just looking at it for one particular year, you know, the, the going rate and the conventional wisdom is that, you know, one player's war is worth eight, nine, ten million dollars per win. Well, when Otani's putting up eight, nine, 10 win seasons, he's not literally worth a hundred million, is he? Or could he be? Because Otani breaks the mold in so many ways, not just as a two-way player and not just in the questions around, well, how do you, what is, what is the benefit that the Angels get of having this extra roster spot and being able to use the, a guy on both sides of the ball? But then also all the ancillary uh, business benefits to having Otani on your team. That's why something like this is really hard to figure out. And that's what made the, the buildup to his free agency is so fascinating, and now this wrench being thrown in uh, almost at the last minute. It's a, it's a real gut punch to the game, but it also opens up a whole different kettle of fish as far as you know the, the fascinating questions surrounding his free agency now. I think the most interesting scenario for the player, again, I keep going back to the player, is like maybe he does need the surgery, sits out completely next year, and then – re-enters free agency that way. I don't know. I'm, I'm churning up different scenarios in my head here. All right, let's get to some of these topics that we have uh, listed down for today. Monday night, noticed something where the Rangers and the Mets are playing at City Field. Obviously, Max Scherzer is back in Queens after being traded to the Rangers at the deadline. And the Mets play a tribute video for Max Scherzer. The fans... Definitely let them know how they felt about that. A lot of booze at City Field for a tribute video for Max Scherzer. Obviously, good player. Uh, maybe a bad time with the Mets. So I'm wondering, tribute video here for Max Scherzer. Good move, 
Bad move? Do you feel indifferent? Does it bother you at all? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This, this is going to be our all cynical kind of podcast, uh, number 104 here, where we take the cynical approach on everything. I think the Mets were trolling him. <laughs> is that possible? They're like, here, throw that out there. And, and especially in the face of, you know, when he left, the kind of the comments he made, you know, some people sort of took it the wrong way and sort of, did he say, you know, did, you know, Billy Epler had a conversation about not competing next year, the Mets, and then Max Scherzer kind of said it verbatim to the media. You know, I didn't think it was that bad, but. I think some people in the Mets uh, took that the wrong way and kind of came back to respond to him. Why would Max Scherzer say that out the door? So, yeah, there, 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 there's some breadcrumbs that you follow here that lead you to believe that, hmm, is there some trolling going on here? It's Certainly, uh, I wouldn't put that past anybody, certainly not the Mets. But, you know, they put the tribute video out there and they let the fans react the way they wanted to. And I guess it was a little bit mixed. I guess you had to kind of be there to, to get a full sense of what the reaction was, but it certainly was mixed at best. So you're saying he's not going to have a Mets NY on his Cooperstown plaque? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a small footnote in his career right there. Uh, well, you know, the, the Mets fans, you know, a little, a little salty about the, the Scherzer era, uh, a little short-lived and uh, not the kind of success that we were all anticipating. But uh, it also has to be a little bit of a twist of the knife when Max goes to Texas and uh, in his first five starts with the Rangers, he has a 2-6-4 ERA with 40 strikeouts and only 10 walks in 30 innings. So Scherzer jumping into a pennant race, a three-team scrum now with the Rangers, Astros, and Mariners, and he is pitching like Mad Max of old. Yeah, I think it would have been the ultimate troll job if the Mets did the tribute video but put up all the really bad moments that that Scherzer had where he, you know, he blew up in the postseason last year and then said, thank you, Max. I bet you that would have... Uh, brought out a, a different type of response from the fans. And I don't know why I feel so much about, about tribute videos here. Like you don't need a tribute video for every notable player who's ever worn your laundry. I think we're oversaturating the tribute videos. Uh, save it for when it matters most for the fans, in my opinion. More so the fans than than the player. Hey, people, need to let you know, college football is back. We're teaming up with DraftKings Sportsbook to bring you an offer that you do not want to miss new customers will receive $200 in bonus bets instantly after betting just $5 on any wagers. That's right. New customers who bet just five bucks will get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Stay in on the action. Use your $200 in bonus bets on DraftKings parlays. You can combine multiple bets together for a shot at an even bigger payout. If sports betting is not yet available in your state, don't worry. You could still get in on the fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they offer cash prize contests for nearly every sport. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use promo code SLAB. That's S-L-A-B. Bet five bucks on any wager and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. The Brewers and the Cubs, they're going at it right now at Wrigley Field this week. The Brewers, one of the hottest teams in baseball, probably only behind the Mariners here. 
and they've won nine in a row at the time we're recording this. The offense has been carrying Milwaukee through this winning streak here. So my question is, as we cover pitching, does the Brewers pitching staff still have what it takes to dominate down the stretch and into the postseason? Well, you know, I, we know we know Corbin Burns is great. He's had another great year. Freddie Peralta has kind of picked his game up this year quite a bit. A real strikeout pitcher. has some some really high numbers in that regard. I think the return of, of uh, Woodruff, Brandon Woodruff, is a huge thing for them. And and there's a veteran lefty, Wade Miley, that's under the radar there that's actually done pretty well for them, even though there's a big disparity between his ERA and his fielder independent pitching because he's not a big strikeout guy. He's a pitch-to-contact guy. But I love Wade Miley, too. He's the fastest worker in the big leagues. As far as the new rules go, if you look at his time and his tempo, which is a big thing on baseball savant now, you have the tempo of every pitcher in the big leagues now. He's number one. Gets it gets it, and throws it. That's why he gets good defense played behind him. He puts the ball in play. He gets the ball down. He gets a lot of ground balls. So he's an underrated facet as a number four starter with Woodruff back. So my answer is yes. I'm, I'm buying. I'm bullish on the Brewers right now in their pitching. You know, the amazing thing about Milwaukee's nine-game winning streak, you mentioned the offense carrying the load. The Brewers, before this streak started, they were eighth from the bottom in scoring in the major leagues. And then all of a sudden, 64 runs in nine games. That's over seven runs a game. But back to the pitching staff, Corbin Burns has had a little bit of a, a weirdly up-and-down season. He's, he's had some brilliant scoreless starts that we're used to seeing, and then some clunkers too. But when you add it all up, he still has the lowest opponent OPS in the National League, 600 on the nose. Coney, you're right on the money with Freddie Peralta. I don't know, is it too late to call him like an under-the-radar sleeper kind of guy? Because this guy's really good. He has a 30% strikeout rate. That's third in the National League behind brand names Spencer Strider and Blake Snell. Freddie is also in the top 10 in all three opponent slash categories. He's fantastic. The reinforcements coming in, you mentioned Brandon Woodruff. He missed four months. From he only made a couple starts to start the season. He's out for four months. He comes back August 6th. He's looked good in four starts. And Wade Miley, that you mentioned, he didn't need any stinking pitch clock. And uh, he missed about a month with elbow trouble, but he came back on August 2nd. And, you know, he's not going to knock your socks off, but he's going to post that solid five inning, two run performance and hand it off to the bullpen. Uh, Devin Williams and the airbender get all the headlines and rightfully so, but how the rest of the bullpen has stepped up too. Yoel Piamps. Elvis Peguero, these guys have kind of come out of nowhere and really bolstered that Milwaukee pen. So I think, look, you're you're in a league with the Braves and Dodgers. You're going to be up against it as far as a, a deep run, you know, like making the NLCS. But Milwaukee has the pitching to, to go deep in October. Yeah, their bullpen, James, has been very good. Andrew Chafin, who they acquired at the trade deadline, he's kind of been the one outlier. But Milwaukee, the way it's going right now, they could kind of afford to keep throwing uh, Andrew Chafin out there despite his struggles. And if he gets right, that's a good weapon to have in a playoff series and an added weapon to those, uh, those arms in the bullpen. It's weird though. Like I hate even saying like, yeah, I'm kind of doubting a pitcher like Corbin Burns, but he's left you wondering which version of Burns that we're going to see each time out here. But if he irons out those inconsistencies and if you're a Brewers fan, I would say, Hey, have blind faith that, Corbin Burns will be able to do that. If he can do that, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better about the uh, the Brewers pitching. David ran it down with Peralta, with Woodruff. Uh, the training wheels are coming off Brandon Woodruff. He's getting his form back. So, like, ironically, it's Burns 
being the uh, the X factor here. So that's something they're going to keep my eye on with the Brewers down the stretch. But they're getting hot at the right time. The Mariners got hot at the right time as well because Seattle has reached first place in the AL West. They have sole possession. And their pitching staff from top to bottom, rotation all the way to the back of the bullpen, despite even trading their, trading their closer at the deadline, it has always been high quality. So I'm wondering here, who gets pinched? In October, like which pitchers in Seattle's rotation are you going to be putting in the bullpen for a playoff series? Yeah, I guess it depends on how many starters you need, obviously, which round you're in. Initially, you probably only need three starters, generally speaking. So your four starters, the one that can go to the pen. Uh, for me, the, the guy who suits the pen, I think, because he, he's got such an electric fastball, is, is Bryce Miller. You know, that that induced vertical hop he gets on his – his fastball. We'll call it whatever you want to call it. You can call it by the, the technical term in terms of vertical, vertical movement, rise, whatever, uh, gravity defined, invisible. I mean, there's so many descriptions of, of a four-seam fastball that actually defies gravity. It is the hardest thing to do with a baseball in your hand. The easiest thing to do is to make it sink because you have gravity on your side to make the ball sink. You can grip it. You can lazy wrist it. You can uh, help it. You can two-seam it. And gravity will help that ball move downward. Gravity doesn't help the ball move move upward, hop, or the forcing vertical riding action. That's the most difficult thing to do. That's why it's so prized. Bryce Miller's got that. I think that plays in the bullpen. I think his fastball will play up in relief. I think it can be a real weapon for them out, out of the pen, in my opinion. Well, you mentioned the difference between the rounds. If the Mariners pull this off and end up winning the American League West, they'll probably jump right into the division series in a best of five. If you end up in a wild card series – you could go Castillo, Kirby, Gilbert. That's a great top three. And you can use any of your other starters in the bullpen, even in a division series. Bryce Miller, you have that fastball slider combination in the pen that is just it's built for an October weapon who can go multiple innings, who can bridge after a short start. He can go high leverage. He can do a lot of different things. Brian Wu is really intriguing. And that's something where even if you do end up sticking Miller in the bullpen, you could – have Wu start a game four if you really need to. He's been a little bit more of a, of a league average pitcher so far this year, but he throws 95, good extension. And the stat cast batted ball metrics, he's in the top 20% of pitchers in hard hit rate and some of those in the barrel rate and some of those other uh, contact oriented stats. And he's been great there. And the, the whole point, the overarching point really is that the Mariners have an embarrassment of riches. This is a team that already has the third best bullpen ERA in the major leagues behind the Yankees and the Braves. Andres Munoz, Matt Brash, Justin Topa, uh, uh, Justin Spire, Taylor Saucedo. These guys have all come out of nowhere in part. You know, Saucedo, a waiver claim from the Blue Jays. These guys have stepped up and you add a starter to that mix. That's just going to make everyone else better. Yeah. And Bryce Miller for me is that that filthy relief version that you would want to make it an even more embarrassment of riches for for that Mariners bullpen you put him in like you said the fastball slider ability if you need that fourth starter in a division series I wouldn't have any hesitation giving the ball to Brian Wu and having Bryce Miller if you need it to follow him but the uh, you know the answer for me in in a kind of a roundabout more is like Miller has the more filthy stuff for a bullpen role I want him in there as that bullpen weapon behind the the big three, Castillo, Gilbert, and uh, and Kirby. So if they need a fourth starter, 
I'm actually going Brian Wu because the that fastball slider from from Bryce Miller, how it plays out of the bullpen, a little too tantalizing for me to to pass up in a uh, in a playoff series here. Uh, another team that seems like it will be potentially grabbing that top seed, maybe the the best record in the American League if they could hold off the Tampa Bay Rays. It's the Baltimore Orioles, firmly atop the AL East. I shouldn't say firmly, a couple of games ahead of Tampa Bay, but they already uh, matched their win total from last season. It's been a terrific year, but some adversity here. Felix Bautista going down, and it is a situation where he is not pitching for the rest of the season. UCL trouble there. Will Baltimore be able to march on without the best closer in baseball in 2023 in Felix Bautista? There's no way to cover it up. He's a huge blow to them. A huge reason why they are where, where they are in terms of their overall record and their success in close games, one-run games, get a lead, turn it over. The Cano-Bautista one-two punch was what everybody was talking about the whole year. It's like, wow, they, they are devastating. So I don't know. I mean, I'm really doubtful that you can sustain that kind of a blow. I mean, he he was not only just because of his numbers and, and how good he was as a closer, it's his presence, the mountain. He's so huge. He was so intimidating. He's part of their persona. You kind of lose a little bit of your personality by losing him. So that remains to be seen, you know, how they overcome that. Now, with all that being said, the Orioles have done a really good job. Their analytics department from their general manager, their analytics department, and their pitching coaches have done a great job of kind of uh, identifying talent on the relief end and kind of developing that, turning those guys around, uh, you know, uh, reclamation projects. Uh, they, they've done a great job of that recently. And, uh, you know, I think everybody's kind of followed the Tampa Bay mode, the Tampa Bay Rays of how do they get all these great relievers every year? These guys you never heard of, and they turn them around and they start throwing one or two pitches. Well, that's what the Orioles are doing. So if anybody can do it, they're on a good run right now. Cano's got to close for them now. And he's already got a heavy workload this year, uh, more than he's ever had. So there are question marks all the way around. Uh, everybody's got to step up. You know, I, I really think uh, Shintaro Fujinami uh, is, is a guy to really watch with his stuff and his arm. He's a guy that's going to be leaned on a lot more heavily, more high leverage spots for him. He's got the stuff to do it. Have they worked on him enough to turn him around to get him in the strike zone? His whole key was command. He could throw the ball 100 miles an hour got a splitter he's got a slider he's got the stuff can he get it over is the key and he he's the guy to watch right now all those guys get bumped up a notch but he's the guy with a big arm that that can really um you know cover those late high leverage innings for them the loss of bautista cannot be understated 148 era 110 strikeouts in 61 innings and leading the major leagues in win probability added so by that one stat, you could say, well, he's worth four plus wins all on his own so far this year. And as good as Yanir Cano is, and he's one of the better relievers in the league too, it's not so much that, it's that everyone else has to move up one rung, right? And you alluded to it, Kony. So uh, Fujinami looks like a good pickup, uh, an interesting acquisition from Oakland. He, he struggled immensely there, but he comes over to Baltimore. He throws 100. You're making a bet, a low-risk bet on, on the stuff, right? And he's had some clunker games that kind of boost the ERA, but overall looking pretty good so far. I think uh, a really good pickup for them was Danny Coulomb. Uh, they picked him up for, it was a trade for cash from Minnesota three days before opening day. And now here he is with a 270 ERA. 
and his strikeout rate, he was a, you know, a lefty, you know, league average strikeout guy, pitch to contact 22% strikeout rate in his career going into the season. Now it's up to 31% and he is a high leverage weapon. So they have guys that can step up, but they had so many question marks around their pitching staff as it was their pitching was pretty thin and with their starters all hitting their career highs and in innings. Now you start to wonder, well, how are they going to, it's it, you're, you're fighting a war on two fronts now. And you know, Tyler Wells get it, getting up there in innings, they move him to the bullpen that could help. So, and maybe, and with the, the, in the rotation, you have John means possibly coming back. So there could be reinforcements on the way, but Baltimore couldn't really afford to, to lose a, a pitcher like Felix and who can, but the, it'll be interesting to see how they try and hold off the Rays and gear up for an October run. Yeah, there is no replicating the entrance of Felix Bautista at Camden Yards going into the ninth inning for later on this season. But I think like the one silver lining that the Orioles may have here is that they have a full month to uh, to try and figure it out here. How is Fujinami going to deal with a bump up, right? How is Coulomb going to deal with more responsibility? How about D.L. Hall, who, who they've called up, the rookie, the impressive pitching prospect? He's in the bullpen now. How is he going to respond? to a relief role. So like which, which other starters like James was saying might go to the pen as they try and figure out their, their playoff rotation. Um, is in your canoe, the dude for the final three outs, they're going to find out over this month. So I don't know if they can overcome Bautista's absence, but uh, I think they're in as good of a position to find out with one month to go in the season guys, this weekend premier series going on out West Braves, Dodgers, the class of the National League going at it. A four-game series, no less. What are you paying attention to the most during this series this weekend? Yeah, you know, for me, it's, um, you know, they, they say in television, it's, um, you know, stars, storyline, and strategies, you know, that you concentrate on. Well, to me, it's the stars. This is all about the stars. The MVP of the National League is up for grabs now. For a while, we just sort of assumed it's going to be Acuna Jr., and he probably – probably still is the front runner, even though if you look at the inside numbers, Mookie Betts has a higher war, depending on which war ranking you use, whether it's B-War, Baseball References War, or Fangraphs War, or there's many other metrics that have their own mathematical formulas for war, and they're different. And it, it, it's worth noting that war is not the end all. Uh, and Acuna Jr. is probably going to end up in rarefied territory of 30 home runs, 60 stolen base guy, which we've never seen. But Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, and going against Acuna Jr. and all the rest of those Braves and maybe Olsen, throw Olsen in there in that mix. That's what I'm looking at, how they perform against each other, those stars. And the MVP is still up for grabs in my mind. Well, I think at the end of the year, we'll see that Mookie, Freddie, and Ronald Acuna Jr. are going to be the top three in the MVP voting. It looked like Ronnie had it all sewn up uh, in the first half of the season. Not that he's really slowed down. It's just that Mookie Betts has been unbelievable in August in his first 25 games of the month he hit 446 with a 782 slugging percentage that's slugging not OPS eight homers 29 runs and Freddie Freeman he's hit 385 in August and all of a sudden Luisa Rise isn't going to win the batting title anymore Luisa Rise is down to 350 and Freddie's up to 340 so maybe he can jump up and grab a batting title too and then there's Acuna he's about to have the first 30 60 season in MLB history. And guys, don't forget the pitching. We're going to have Spencer Strider in the opener on Thursday. We're going to see Max Fried during the series, maybe even a Kershaw Charlie Morton matchup on Sunday. So there are 
are stars all over the field. It should be a great series between two teams, I think, are the consensus top two teams in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I was looking at the pitching probables, trying to find them earlier this morning. They weren't out yet, and that's what I'm antsy to see here, uh, what, what the pitching matchups will be. But I'm, I'm focused on the stars, obviously, but I'm really paying attention to seeing how the pitchers from both teams, how they approach these opponents now in late August, how they do that, how they file it away, and then you got to compare it to how it may or or may not play a factor in a potential NLCS matchup. So what you see here in August may not carry over into October if these two teams meet up down the line. So it's been interesting to see. I guess it's a, like a long, uh, long-term cat and mouse game between these two juggernauts in the National League. Obviously, they, they don't have much to play for in regards to the division. All that's left is just them actually clinching, wrapping it up, and those are going to be the top two records uh, in, in the National League. So how they approach this series compared to what uh, an NLCS matchup could look like in October, that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm doing here. I'm playing the long, long-term approach. Um, all right, guys, Yankees talk. Uh, you, could, you could say that this team is playing out the string. They're, they're not mathematically eliminated, obviously. So what is the balancing act here? They're trying to win as many games as possible, and they're trying to go a little bit younger, see what they have for the future. You're seeing some youth now getting everyday reps in this, uh, this lineup. And as we're recording this, we get the news that the Yankees released Josh Donaldson. So it clears up another roster spot. On the 40-man, September 1st is rolling around. Let me just toss it up this way. What do the Yankees do with the vacated 40-man roster as the calendar turns to September? Well, that is really interesting. And uh, the timing of the Donaldson release, too, uh, on before the end of August is interesting, too, because it gives them a, a little window there to get signed by another team and still be eligible for postseason. I think that September 1st, I believe, is that deadline, although I could be wrong. It is. In, year, in years past, yeah, I think it's been September 1st. So yeah, just to close the book on Josh Donaldson, would somebody take a chance on that bat, you know, if, if you're offensively challenged? So let that spin around for a minute. For the Yankees, they are in taking inventory mode, obviously, you know, and trying to plan for next year. And see, Is Jason Dominguez going to get a look or not? You know, he's their, one of their top prospects. And, killing it in AAA. He's got to be protected in the 40-man roster in the offseason already. So maybe, maybe there's a chance we do see him at some point in September. It'd be interesting. But uh, if you're thinking about the pitching side of things, I'm more worried about where the Yankees, who's the offense, what the offense is going to look like next year and what the outfield in particular is going to look like. Who's your center fielder? Who's your left fielder? You know, Aaron Judge is your right fielder. So, yeah, those are the sorts of things that, that I'm looking at. But as far as Luis Severino goes, I'm so happy for him to bounce back. He was – you can almost see he was in physical pain from his struggles. Some of his post post game press conferences talking about you know how he felt like the worst pitcher in the league, and but that just just crushed me because I love Luis Severino. He's been a great Yankee even with all the injuries when he's been on the mound, and to see him face plant like that was really painful to watch. Painful for him. I'm so happy to see him turn it around. Does that impact his future with the Yankees? I don't know. We'll see how he finishes out. Is he going to be a part of the Yankees next year? I don't know. That one's really up for grabs. He might be better off himself going somewhere else. Yeah, and I do know that I've talked to scouts who are ready to take a flyer on Luis Severino. You know, they they don't understand what's going on. I've been asked questions by a number of scouts who follow the Yankees who say, what do you see? Is he tipping his pitches? Is he doing this? Is it sequencing? Is it command? Probably a little bit of everything, but 
there are there are teams out here who, that will absolutely give Luis Severino a chance. I don't know what type of contract that will entail, but is he going to be back with the Yankees? Uh, if I'm handicapping that, it, it, it's the odds are probably less than fifty percent at this point, maybe even less than that. So he might be better off going somewhere else. But if he finishes strongly, who knows? Who knows what the Yankees and in, in their analytics department and their decision makers come up with? Great to see him have back-to-back strong starts, 13 and two-thirds shutout innings. And the strikeouts were back in Detroit on Monday. He had eight Ks after a nightmare stretch of 13 games with an ERA over nine. And look, teams always need pitching. They will always take a flyer on a guy. Noah Syndergaard got a, what was it, 12 or 13 million on a one-year deal. Someone would take a flyer on him. I don't know if it's going to be in New York, but... There's enough. Ba- There's not a lot of baseball left in the season, but for a starting pitcher, you have six or seven starts left. And if he looks like the guy we've seen the last two games more often, then you end up getting a nice little 10 start chunk to end the season. And maybe teams can look at that and be like, OK, that's that's more like Luis Severino. And it's something you can you know look forward to next spring. I'm really happy that we're able to even pose the question of, hey, is Luis Severino buying his way back to the Yankees for for next season? Because through the stretch that he was just on for the last two months or so, you would say, no way should he be brought back. But there's some positive signs here. This is like the Severino of old. You, you, you root for the player because he's, he's very passionate. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He is a bulldog, works really hard. I'm, I'm wondering if it just comes down to something like length of contract. Like, are the Yankees going to say, hey, we'd love to have you back, but right now, maybe on a one-year deal, you know, show us and convince us that you can be a little bit more consistent here, and then we could discuss multi-year options. But he may already have those multi-year options coming this free agency. There might be a team that takes a flyer for Luis Severino for uh, a multi-year deal. So uh, his free agency is going to be pretty intriguing if he's able to sustain what we've seen over the last two starts or so. David, Sunday night. I mean, yes, we have the Braves and the Dodgers, but Sunday night, it's going to be the Yankees and the Astros in Houston. The stake's not as high as I think uh, people were predicting at the beginning of the season, but uh, that's where you are on Sunday night, correct? That is. I'm going to be there all weekend, actually. I cover the first two games for the Yes Network, and then uh, Sunday night, we're just going to going to hang around, do the game, and see how it goes. Yeah, I always I, I love talking to Dusty Baker, you know, one of my all-time faves. Um, you know, there's some great players on the Houston Astros, you know, and I know there's always going to be that, that uh, that hard spot for Yankee fans looking back at the history and the obvious reasons, but you know, uh, Altuve's unbelievable. What a career he's had. He's clearly has a hall of fame career going and you know, the, the 2000 hits, 200 home runs, 200 stolen bases thing, fastest ever. Pretty impressive, pretty impressive. So you, you know what, you can hold grudges all you want. I get it. You know, everybody's got a right to feel how they want to feel about the Houston Astros, but Jose Altuve is a hall of famer. He's a great, great player and uh, he's fun to watch the amazing thing about Altuve is that he's a little bit of a late bloomer so as even as he was racking up batting titles and getting 200 hit seasons you're thinking well because he got a late start to his career he's not going to be able to rack up you know a big shiny hit total for for a Cooperstown case well we'll see how he ages and he's as good as ever and uh, hitting for the cycle uh, at Fenway is pretty cool so of Yankees Astros this weekend, I hope the uh, the Wi-Fi in the hotel, David, in Houston is better than it is in Detroit. I uh, thank you guys. We we were late with our uh, episode release this week. 
because of uh you know our spotty internet and Aaron Boone's spotty internet for his talking yank spot forced us into the same problem. That's why I'm recording this over at Comerica Park. So I thank you guys for uh for bearing with me and thank you for uh to all the listeners for uh bearing with us on our, our delayed release this week. But uh yeah, let's gear up for the weekend, guys. Appreciate you. And uh we will talk to you all next week. Please subscribe on our YouTube channel. That way you never miss the latest footage we are churning out each and every week. And until next week, for David Cohn, for James Smythe, our great producer, Dan Work, I'm Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next time on Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Take care.